Hi, you're listening to BTS Podcast, and for the audiophiles listening, I've got bad news. The audio quality is about to drop when the interview starts because like a fool, I did not have my headphones handy when we were recording, so I just had to use my AirPods, so I apologize in advance. Anyways, I'm your host, Lene Cook. You're listening to BTS Podcast, where I talk to people about the behind the scenes of what they do, how they do it, how they get work, how they sustain work, grow in their work, maintain personal relationships. And I'm really excited to have on Molly Lambert. I had a really great time talking with her. She talks like a writer. I have to tell you, it was like talking to a writer like she just you know she has a, a great brain which is why I had her on if you're not familiar with her work I highly recommend looking her up she has a really great podcast that she released I want to say in 2020 I'm sorry don't quote me but it's called Heidi World and it was released during the shutdown and it was incredible it's about Heidi Fleiss it is always a treat to me to hear other people from LA and the valley and the surrounding areas talk about LA I think Molly does an amazing job in examining Los Angeles through the lens of the Heidi Fleiss story she also wrote the intro to Eve Babbitt's book I used to be charming and it's great. Molly writes about Los Angeles in a way that makes me feel like, yes, yes, this is what it is. Like it makes me just want to be able to airdrop that into people's heads. So anyways, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening after a two year break. Um, I'm sorry, I had a lot of stuff going on both emotionally and in a lot of other ways. And I am very excited to have the mental and emotional and time capacity to be back. I would love, love, love if you supported this podcast. You can support at just 99 cents a month. Come on. That's like less than it takes to add avocado or guacamole to your order when you get food. Just go to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast and you'll get redirected to the podcast Spotify link, which is much longer. I'll also put it in the show notes. Supporters are wildly, wildly welcome. You can also use different services that I use by using my promo code, thus sending me money. If you just go to the BTS podcast Instagram at BTS the podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, I have a link tree with lots of links to things that I love like Rakuten, which is a, what is the word for it? Oh my God. What's the thing that we use to look at websites? A browser. It's a browser extension, also an app, and you can get cash back on different orders by shopping through them. I personally shop all my Instacart orders through Rakuten so that I can get money back on those. Joe Malone, so many other websites. Um, I usually get like $100 back every few months and it's great. Anyways, do that. Support the podcast. Follow, tweet, all that kind of stuff. It's appreciated and helps this make sense for my life. Anyways, thank you. Follow Molly at Molly underscore Lambert on Instagram. She has an exciting new narrative podcast series coming out about Jenna Jameson, and I am thrilled. Anyways, I hope you enjoy the interview or rather conversation. It's a conversation. Great. You want to jump in? Yeah, let's do it. 
Okay, rad. Well, for context, Molly, this is like the first podcast episode I've recorded in like a year and a half to two years. <laughs> um, and so I am like probably not on my A game. So <laughs> so I would like fully was like mentally like, oh, here's what you used to do all the time, Lene. Oh my um, God. No, I completely... <laughs> and I got like an influx of subscribers in the past month and it was like a big motivation to like get it back together because I haven't yeah 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 an episode in so long so I was like okay do it do it do it um okay so I invited you on here because I think your writing is fucking amazing I loved Heidi World um and for listeners who don't know if you skip the intro like an asshole um, which will be recorded later Heidi World is the Heidi Fly story and if you don't know who Heidi Flies is that's okay. You're probably young or not from LA or, you know, just we're homeschooled and that's all fine. Um, as a preteen and Molly, I don't know how you feel about this because we both grew up in Southern California. You're from the Valley, right? Yeah. Okay. I grew up bouncing between like first Long Beach and then my mom was in Canyon Country and my dad was in Fullerton and Anaheim. So I bounced around a lot. Um, but you're from LA. You write about LA beautifully in like like I, um, Molly wrote the intro to Eve Babbitt's like book in 2019. Um, is it the intro or the preface? I don't want to like misspeak. Mm-hmm. Does it matter? <laughs> I was like, I personally can't define the difference. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an intro. Well, it's beautiful. Um, okay. I read it and I was like, this is magnificent. And I feel like it was like a beautiful passing of the baton from like one LA writer to the next, in my opinion. Um, And I think I just really want to talk to you about navigating writing, like as a freelancer, pitching Heidi World, doing all that research, like releasing it, like this whole podcast is about like the behind the scenes of what people do. You're a freelance writer. Is that correct? Are you still freelance? Yeah. Okay. Um, And you have the podcast. And I think where we can start is sort of like perhaps like how you started getting writing jobs to begin with. Can we talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So I guess I I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I was trying to break into television um, and having a hard time doing that. Uh, break into television in what way? Like television writing or like Yeah, um, yeah. Like that was my... Okay. That was my plan, was I wanted to break into television writing and write television. Um, And nobody wanted to let me do that. So I got frustrated by that. Um, Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine from college named Alex Carnival, who I was in a bunch of writing workshops with in college, was like, hey, why don't we start a blog? And I was like, okay, great. Because I just wanted to write a lot. And I had this idea that if I could just get like a lot of my writing out there, that maybe somebody would hire me to do it or pay me to do it. So essentially I started doing it for free, which is, you know, not what they tell you, not what they recommend. Um, But yeah, I was just having a, I didn't really know where to start to to get writing work. So I was like, great, I'll just write a lot for free online. And then maybe somebody will see that and like it and want to hire me to do it for money. Um, 
but yeah i mean and then like while i was doing that i was working um like just you know regular jobs uh service jobs um and and then like coming home and and staying up all night writing stuff um and that that was like pretty quickly I was like I don't know if this is going to lead to any actual paid work necessarily but it's like fun fun for me and me and my friend are like having fun writing stuff to entertain each other basically yeah and eventually it did start leading to some work I met other people I mean I actually like the thing that allowed me to quit my retail job and not like allowed me I decided to quit my retail job because I decided this was my big break was a friend of mine who like had broken into tv and film um said asked me if I just like kicked me kicked me a job and the job was writing a list of 100 things to do in Los Angeles with your grandchildren uh, for that's a beautiful web- for a website called grandparents.com that's so sweet that I and don't I know love, that was what you decided was your big break yes because I Incredible. got because I got paid nine hundred dollars for it oh, and I shit. was like that's the most money anyone can get paid to do anything um now I can you know now now the money is going to start rolling in for writing so I can quit my my regular job um that's beautiful that's like Which a beautiful not... just like like perspective of like this is you know what I mean like it's like yeah I just think of act like people I've met who who moved to LA and then like booked a commercial their first month and then they're like I'm fine everything will be yeah here great. we go I'm a star <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. that's really rad and and that was like obviously not the beginning of a story career writing for grandparents.com but it was the beginning of me being like okay I'm gonna freelance write and figure out how to just make money writing as much as I can and so a lot of it was like taking things that other people who whose careers were going better who were a little older or more established would kick me as like you know I I don't want to do this but like maybe you will yeah um so I did a lot of stuff like that and then I had a friend, my friend Allie Ward, who does the podcast Ologies, who's really great. Oh, she became great the podcast. editor of a website called Metro Mix. Um, mm-hmm. That was like an LA Times culture website. And so there was this thing happening like at that time where there were like websites where they'd let you write funny, dumb stuff for not a real living wage, you know, where <laughs> it was like. And if I, I mean, that was also like. I feel like a time when websites like that were our Twitter, you know what I mean? Like there was such a, like in terms of just like finding things and tidbits and like what was fun, like there was just, there was an era where I feel like I spent so much time on websites. Yeah. And I had this idea that like people would read websites while they were at their boring office jobs that like I could be part of entertaining people while they're stuck, stuck at their boring jobs that I could help them like not do work and just read fun stuff instead Uh (laughs) so yeah I was still writing for my blog this recording um at the same time I was doing that stuff and that 
was eventually so yeah i was doing i was doing stuff like that i was doing little like two hundred dollar uh blog post type things like it's just anything i could get totally. and yeah. uh with the fantasy that this would turn into like real work somehow uh but i i still wasn't really i was still trying to try to break into television and truly just didn't understand like why nobody would let me write television and everybody have you gotten you know, clarity like, oh. on that over the years do you feel or do you feel like oh I'm a woman no it's not because I'm a woman it's because I it's because I didn't know the right people or yeah. you know I and and it took a long time for me to understand that they were just telling me like like I'm not going to help you because there's nothing you can do for me kind of um right yeah but a lot of people would be like oh yeah you'd be great at that I, I I'm not gonna help you you know right well like, I think a lot of people like just from my experience of people in that world which is limited like specifically on the writer's side because I have plenty of friends who act or are directors or whatever but with writers it really seems like such a different and more complex and complicated like way to break in there's like I, a few I can't different imagine. ways and you know like I applied for a lot of like writer's assistant jobs that I didn't get in writer's rooms and so I just like didn't know what to do because I was like yeah. well, that like that's the thing I want to do I'm no I'm qualified but like I need to just like no one will let me in you know it, yeah. it, it's very much like that's why it's like breaking in because they really don't make it easy and you know and seeing other people that I thought were like less good break in made me insane um totally so I kept writing and, and also because that's like where the money is if you want to be a writer or it used to be at least, you know, so yeah. I, I had that, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm like trying to figure out a way to like make money as a writer and like have a career and a life and also, you know, get paid to do the thing I love to do. Um, but that wasn't really working out. So, so I kept kind of doing other stuff but yeah I was like writing scripts and stuff and and trying to figure it out and thinking about making shorts um and I was writing these reviews of Mad Men the AMC show mm -hmm. for my blog that were really fun for me to write and like sort of like the the thing that I you know not not that I enjoyed like reviewing television but I just like enjoyed writing about Mad Men because it was like a great way to kind of just look at like this historical period that I think was so interesting and use it as kind of like a lens to blow out all these details of the time period and and also kind of like use it as a way to talk about whatever was going on with me personally that I didn't actually want to write about but that I was like I will veil this in writing about Mad Men, you know, totally, yeah. Like I'll write about my feelings and and what's going on with me emotionally, but like under a hundred layers of I'm writing about Don Draper, actually. <laughs> um, so those are the thing that ultimately got me like scouted over to Grantland with somebody, uh, my friend Alex Papadimus was reading those he was not my friend yet but but he was a writer for GQ who I really liked his writing 
somebody who I just like thought was a great a great writer and um he recommended me to people uh who brought me into Grantland and so then I got a email from Bill Simmons that I ignored because I didn't know who he was and <laughs> his email is like what or you know I don't know if it still is but it was like bill simmons at aol.com right it's a real <laughs> you know, red flag like, I have a job opportunity for you I thought it was spam probably <laughs> totally. and somebody else is like you need to write bill simmons back like what's what are you doing um so then I did and I and um he was starting a website that was going to be like under you know he had been basically given like carpal on shitty spn to start a publication and he was hiring a bunch of people in and uh that was that was great i and i, and I was like up for a couple other jobs at that point that were kind of like similar like internet um culture writing jobs but um you know, he was like, no, you want to come here. You want to do this. This is going to be the thing. Um, and so I was like, great. Somebody wants to pay me like full time to write like incredible. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, you know, it's not television, but I'll take it. And um, I think that's what I was realizing at that point was like, you know, writing online, which I had thought was going to like scout me into television and film. It was sort of like, really just led to more other internet writing yeah and I and I also had this really strong belief that like the money was all gonna flow to the internet eventually that like the money the advertising money from that was in magazines which were collapsing at that point right print was print was collapsing profits were were in the trash and and never coming back and and magazines were sort of acting like this wasn't happening, like, like it wasn't happening or it wasn't their fault somehow, you know, that they like right. spent all the money and never had a plan. <laughs> and so, and so there had been this like very arbitrary, insane divide between like what you got paid to write in print and what you got paid to write online. And it was like, mm -hmm. you got paid nothing to write online and you got paid overly well to write in print but there was no work doing it really and it was like starting to die so I really wrongly believed that like the the jobs and the security would like eventually go to the internet and then eventually magazines and publications would just all be online and and there would be advertising an advertising infrastructure uh there and so Grantland was kind of like the 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 hope the hope of that dream that uh there would start to be like new magazines that were like started online that's what I thought I thought like yeah. well, that's what everybody thought like in your defense that's like what like most young like forward-looking people well I think we thought like thought. they're not gonna just let us like you know drown <laughs> but <laughs> 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 I was wrong um <laughs> god so grim but so so accurate truly and you know you're young and you're like I'm gonna I'm gonna make a life for myself um other people want that <laughs> for me too right? right but um 
but yeah, I, I thought we were gonna, you know, I, I was very like, great, like we're gonna we're gonna start 1960s Esquire, which is what I think everybody at Grantland wanted to do. Right. Um, but all mine. So so then yeah, that was my first like real job. Um, and also kind of my last. What was like the time, like how long was it from the time that you started, you know, blogging and doing your own work, like between that and then like between getting your first like real paid, like that, that list for um, like the grandparents website, like what was the time yeah. like, from like point A to point B to then point C, which is Grantland? I think it was like probably four to five years of writing for free. Okay. Um and working service jobs and then yeah then maybe like a year of just uh freelancing full-time and just picking up anything and doing like spawn con and you know un uncredited copywriting kind of stuff just to make money I wrote some like yeah. press press releases for bands and stuff and uh and yeah and then I think I I started I got hired at Grantland when I was like 26 which felt like I had been waiting a long time at the time but in retrospect was like pretty good yeah <laughs> um and then it started when I was like 27 and mm-hmm. then I was there full time I was staffed and I was like great I'm staffed at a publication this is incredible now I can figure out what else to do because I'm not just like stressed about money all the time yeah Um, and pitching yourself like it's a whole I think what people don't understand about like the freelance world and I find writing particularly wild in this way is that you're like pitching ideas like you're working to get work and then doing more work and then having to work to like chase down invoices yeah oh my god and also like being told that like if you get hired to do anything because it's like a thing you love to do you're just lucky and you should just do whatever they want because you are so lucky to be (laughs) even getting paid to do something that you don't hate you know right yeah so I had a lot of I had a lot (laughs) it took a while for that to get like kicked out of me you know yeah um yeah by the time I got to Greatland I was like great stability and and healthcare and co-workers and like I'm in a magazine this is incredible um collaboration like I'm not working in a silo anymore yeah like I'm around other people um and then within that it's like we were like pitching constantly it's like we were never not pitching of course stuff for that so then it was like yeah once I was like hired at Greatland um I was essentially on the clock like all the time and Mm -hmm. as it turns out was like so excited to work for money that I didn't know how to like stop doing it kind of you know totally yeah I hear you on that like my first few jobs I for sure was like whatever you want however many hours you want all the time like I'll answer emails at 7 a.m well they were like we were answering emails at 7 a.m on Saturday and Mm -hmm. that was sort of like normalized in a way that was part of I think also just like the the end of the nine to five work day and the beginning of the like everybody's on call all the time yeah 
it's a startup culture like that it's startup that culture that, that's yeah. exactly what it is and it was startup culture and yeah I think I just didn't know how to like take time off I don't think I ever took a vacation because I was just like what if something yeah. happens and I have to cover it like which totally. was a crazy attitude um but it but also, also feels like, like a, a it feels normal like to me like the, it took me a very long time for me to go like oh actually like we're not here saving lives you know like um taking a day off is perhaps also a good reminder to my colleagues that like I do contribute and like without me here there's a a big gap and like maybe I you're short-staffed and that will become obvious when I'm not here for a few days yeah I mean I think it's also like yeah you're just so excited to be and something about like when you're publishing constantly like that it does feel like you're just like you're always hitting a deadline right it, it, you feel you're in like perpetual motion where you're like thinking ahead and you're thinking and, and it can get hard to just sort of like think about like longer things like I think I got mm-hmm. very into sort of just from blogging for a long time too I was very into like you write something and then you publish it and then you it's like a balloon and you let it go into the sky you know mm-hmm. um and so you're constantly like writing and publishing so you're never like stuck like with a project or a thought for like weeks you know you're never like yeah oh I have to like finish something and then sit with it and then work on it again you're always just like nope I finished it click <laughs> yeah and especially with like the Mad Men reviews, which became, which were sort of like my, my thing that got me hired there and also were like my, my signature piece or whatever. Um, they wouldn't give us screeners for Mad Men because Matthew Weiner is insane. So we had to write them overnight, you know? Jeez. So I had been doing that just because I was like depressed and unemployed you know I've been like writing these Mad Men reviews right after the episodes but then once I was like doing it on staff it was like yeah I just like didn't have time to think about how crazy it was that I was like spending every Sunday night like up until dawn just like writing these Mad Men reviews because it felt very like important and like I have to get it out you know it has to be out in the morning like the morning paper but it was also like just funny they wouldn't just give us screeners so we could watch the episodes it was like they didn't want spoilers out there but when do you feel like your sort of like frantic mindset around that shifted or like what was like did you have like a moment where you were like wait a second no not until the website fell apart Mm -hmm. um which happened for a lot of reasons that maybe I won't go into here but that's okay. it was like I mean pro- once... I assume the same reasons many of those websites fell apart right like there was like an era of influx mm-hmm. of these websites and then many of them mm-hmm. were like oh this was more human error involved oh I see but... well that'll happen yeah it it was it was just like once once I was off the treadmill for a second because I it was it was like we'd the website exploded after four years. And so I had been just like working every day for four years. And I was like completely burnt out, but I didn't realize how burnt out I was until I stopped, you know? And then I was like, oh, like 
I, I'm never not thinking about work. I'm never not thinking about like what I'm pitching and what I'm writing next and like what, you know, what's in the trades that I can cover and like what just, yeah, just like keeping track of something I had done anyway before I did it professionally, which was just like, you know, scouring the internet constantly seeing what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like, you truly, you get in this mindset where you're always thinking about like, what are the stories? What, what could I pitch? Like what, what are people going to want to hear about like tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Um, And so once I like stopped doing that for a second, then I was like, just completely like I don't know what to do now and I had no idea what to do because I was like well okay I did the thing I thought I was gonna do I like got staffed at a website and now I'm out of work again I would like to have health care please you know um (laughs) yes and so I worked for, yeah, I, I applied for, I was up for a few jobs after that. And one of them was like a very prestigious pop culture writing job that I essentially like didn't want, I realized, because <laughs> I didn't, I, I was just like, I don't think I can mentally handle doing that for the rest of my life, you know? I like your very like all or nothing mindset like because I I have definitely felt similarly where it didn't occur to me until probably the last couple years that like which is because I got off the treadmill of like oh I could take this full-time job and then should I not like it or should I find something better I can leave whatever I want like I am able to leave and like I don't know about it sounds like maybe for you that took you a while too to go like oh this isn't a lifelong choice like this is like you really felt like okay well this would be my life for forever well I was just like trying to find some kind of stability you know and and then I had and then it was like taken away and so I was like well what's the point of like seeking this kind of stability and it was sort of just that realization that like our whole generation was just gonna get fucked you know and that Uh, we were being set up with this thing with the gig economy to be like no you don't need a full-time job you just need five part-time jobs none of which give you health insurance or 401k or like have any risk like the the thing that people don't understand about having several part-time jobs is that each of those jobs feels entitled to your full-time yeah like there's not a lot of understanding in my experience when you're working as a freelancer, even if you've signed up for 15 to 20 hours a week. No, they like, all... you might have another call with another client because we cannot be sustained off of 15 to 20 hours. No, and they job. all think they they're all like, give me your full attention when I want it. It's like right. um, it's like a very and... toxic relationship. It's like dating men. It who, like, is treat like you a like toxic a relationship. No, it's like, it's, yes, it's like dating somebody where it's like everything is on their terms and it's never on your terms, but if they want something, you have to do it like right now. And so I had some experiences doing like freelance stuff for a few of like the big, the big name publications that 
I had sort of dreamt of working at before I worked at Grantland that I was like, okay, if I can't get into TV and film, maybe I can get into magazines. Like, um, and then the experiences working for those places was like so bad that I was like, oh, okay. Even the, the places that I thought because they're such big name places, I like assumed there was some kind of like professional guarantee and, and professionalism here. And actually like they're treating me worse than like, right. You know, kind of less prestigious places because they're like, well, you're so lucky to write for blank. Yeah. You should just insert Condé Nast name here. Um, yeah, pretty much. And like, you know, <laughs> now, and, and also like getting paid for this is your job now right yeah now um, you must track like now you must do double work tracking down this invoice and dealing with five yeah. different departments where the answer is that no one told you your account number and routing number need to be on your invoice which feels insane like every time no, I send an invoice insane. to a major company I'm always like please look at the invoice and tell I me know, if I am I missing a piece of information like, because oh, I am well not putting my social security number and my rooting number and my account number on every invoice you psychopaths I know it's very it's very like, call me crazy but I it's just very... don't think it's good no and after being staffed to go from being like you know you're an important person who matters in this organization to being like just completely humiliated feeling right. for like yeah. wanting to do the thing that you've already been hired to do professionally you know <laughs> yeah very topsy turvy um, thing was not great um so yeah I was I was also like at Grantland I started podcasting because mm -hmm. a lot of people were podcasting there it seemed fun and like something I thought I would be good at because I love mm -hmm. the bullshit and it's you know doing that professionally and also it's I mean like, it's like, great I gotta say <laughs> this is my well, second it's like podcast I wasn't thinking and it's lovely I wasn't thinking about it like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll start podcasting because that'll be the thing that like replaces writing and, mm -hmm. you know, like, especially for pop culture stuff, it's like, eventually, nobody will pay for you to talk about like what you think about stuff, but they might pay you to literally talk about it on a podcast. Yeah. Um, or at least if you do it for free, it's like much easier than writing. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It. It. And it's the gatekeeping is different like people absorb it differently like the whole thing is so like I have so much respect for writers because I, I find it to be such a grueling process like it makes me feel like um you know how like well you have long hair so you'll understand like when you're cleaning out the shower like the the shower drain and there's like the grossness that comes out of it that's what writing feels like to me like I'm doing that but to my guts yeah definitely there's like not the uh not the emotional surgery involved in podcasting um no. it's more about <laughs> jokes well especially no, when normally. like in, yeah like especially in this format where I'm like talking to people and really my responsibility is to like not ask boring questions or and like you know sort of like uh vet guests to like be good like you know I don't normally like if I don't really like there's been people that I logically I'm like oh they'd be a great podcast guest and then if we have a conversation in like personal lives I'm like ah if it's like a missed connection when there's no stress and we're just making like ostensibly small talk 
certainly I'm not having them on in what could be perceived to them as like a more pressurized environment Mm -hmm. because I can't like who's that like none of us are going to enjoy that right like (laughs) but like I think um but with the format that you did for Heidi World that was such a interesting format and I do before we get to that I do have some more questions especially about what we were just talking about like with sort of like the treadmill you were on like you were talking about how you felt a lot of pressure and your whole world and like your brain was so taken up with like where's this story at and like how did you feel like that impacted like your relationship with like your family and like your dating life because that has to impact your like the way you socialize so much when you're in that headspace I mean honestly I think I'm good at compartmentalizing stuff like that so it's like it's always like a program running in the back of my brain but it doesn't you know it doesn't stop me from like doing other stuff normally and like eating dinner and not thinking about it for you know yeah it's like I I was just always on deadline. So I was just, I didn't realize until I wasn't on deadline anymore that I had been like holding stress in my shoulders for four years, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I, um, (laughs) I got hired to work at a company like years ago that I was so hyped to work at. And I was like, I wanted to work here for forever. They do such fun, creative work. And like, um, and I like literally stopped, like I'd started my own company and I like stopped that company and just gave all of the work to like the two people that were working for me and was like, take all of our clients. I'm going to go work for this company and it's going to be so great. And my contract was only six months and they renewed it. And then I was let go like a month into the renewal. And I was like devastated because it was such a blow to the ego, right? You're like, oh, I wanted this so bad and now it didn't work out and like how horrible. But then the next day I woke up and it was like the first time that I like was stoked to get out of bed. Like since I, basically since I'd started that job that I was like, oh, I hated that job. And I just didn't realize it because like logically it was a good job, but I did not like, like to realize I just had honestly thought because I was 26 or 27 when that happened and I thought like oh maybe this is just the age where you're not excited to get up anymore maybe this just just what happens maybe that's just life from now on (laughs) like horrible I I actually you know I mean I loved working at Grandland I I loved being on like a team and I loved feeling like I was collaborating with people and like uh, bouncing off people you know there were there were some issues but it, it overall I was I was like so I was was mostly just bummed out when it was over because I was like I don't know what to do now and I wasn't thinking ahead enough because I was sort of like focused on on grinding it out constantly but that was when I was like okay well I like I grinded I grinded to this point and like now I don't know what to do and I'm also like exhausted um but also I have to like make money for the rest of my life, I guess. Like what's that all (laughs) about? Um, And I don't know how, and like clearly the magazine industry is collapsing. I still can't get anyone to let me into television for reasons I don't understand. Um, Everybody thinks I'd be good at it, but nobody will give me the job that will get me in, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so that was making me insane. And I was like taking meetings in Hollywood where people were like, making me feel crazy just like like just nagging me to a point where I was like what am I doing (laughs) like you took the meeting with me right um you know why should you help me I don't know 
because I want to write TV real bad and I think I'd be good at it. Did, um, did people literally ask you, like, why should I help you? Yeah, and a lot of like, you're good at writing online. Why would you be able to write television? Which I was like, well, because everybody writes everything now because that's like, God. we're all good at lots of stuff. Um, people are such monsters. I'm so sorry. Oh, I mean, it's very, it's like a good way to experience ego death, especially if you like, you know, if you, it's oh. true. like at that point, I was also like, I know I'm good at writing. I know these people are wrong, but there's like, yeah. that doesn't help me. There's nothing I can do to like make them give me a staff job on a TV show. Like I want, you know? Right. Um, and so then I started getting offered like basically the last thing in magazines which is cover stories and celebrity profiles um mm -hmm. and so I got offered a couple of those right as my like uh second staff job fell apart after a year uh which was at MTV News with some of the Grantland refugees and again it was like everybody did a good job everybody was in and fell apart for reasons out of our control and totally. that was when I was also like I can't get comfortable even even getting hired somewhere is like no guarantee of stability or like yeah. no promise of any kind of like future you know it's very much like startup culture it's like the company will jack up the valuation and then the company will disband yeah. and you'll be on your own again if you didn't own a share in the company <laughs> totally so yeah then I started doing celebrity profiles which are pretty dumb but are the last and, thing and those were being offered to you or were you pitching them as well somebody offered me one I got offered to do one for like Marie Claire basically it was mm -hmm. like only women's magazines offered me stuff which I felt was insulting <laughs> um <laughs> you know like the people who came to help me were were women who liked my work and and one man named Nathaniel Friedman who hired me to do some sports writing for a, a Nike magazine you know like the, like yeah I was constantly like putting it out to people that I needed work I needed money I didn't know exactly what I was doing I was like writing scripts and trying to break into Hollywood and getting managers and stuff um but to make money I was yeah I was just doing celebrity profiles which mm -hmm. truly it's like I think I think it can be done well. I think my friend Alex Papadimus, who I mentioned earlier, is like one of the last people doing a good job of it. Um, mm -hmm. We all at Grantland loved the gay Talese. Frank Sinatra has a cold story, you know? And, and like the last big thing I had done at Grantland and sort of like the main, the thing that I think gave me a direction was I wrote a big piece about the adult video news awards the porn awards yeah. um in Vegas and following this porn starlet Carter Cruz who won best new starlet that night mm -hmm. and that was like something I always wanted to do because I'm from the valley so I love yeah writing and thinking about the porn industry and I felt like there had been a lot of really bad writing about the porn industry sort of from the point of view of like male spectators of like what what it's like to see women I jerked off to in real life yeah. and I was like I really want to talk to them about what it's like to do this as a career and like how you know what is it what are the day the day-to-day -day things that make you know that you do to, to 
be a porn star. Yeah. Um, and as I was talking to Carter, who's amazing, who I love, and she's a DJ. Um, she's not an adult anymore. She's a full-time DJ. She basically told me like that she was using adult to break into being a DJ. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's like me trying to use blogging to break into TV, you know? Right. It's like, it doesn't matter how you break in. You just have to like get known for something and then you can get known for something else was like the way well, she thought yeah. about it. And that's a, I mean, totally. But I was it's like, you know, the more I talked to- A fun about, way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And like the more I talked to, to performers and adult, the more I was like, oh, they're just like us. They're all yeah. in the gig economy now because there's no money in porn anymore for the film the films themselves because right. um of pirating and nobody buys dvds now they just pirate and and watch you know Pornhub and stuff um and so you can't make money off the main thing you used to make money off of so they all have podcasts and t-shirt lines and yeah. blogs and stuff and i was like oh this is just like me like everybody has five hustles in order to like do the one thing you really care about um right but that was also like the biggest thing I worked on where I worked on it for months and it was the thing I had to like go back and look at and not just finish once and publish. And I had this great editor, Louisa Thomas, who's at the New Yorker now, who's a great sports writer. Mm-hmm. And she and I really like worked on that piece and I just had a lot of ambitious things I wanted to do with it. We had video in there. Um, that my boyfriend at the time like came with me to Vegas and like shot video to go in the story like I was really Mm -hmm. just like we're you know that's where I thought the internet was going I thought it was going to be like images and text together and and images and video you know video and and text and and all the things you can do only on the internet right but that was kind of like my last big thing and so I was thinking about it like in the back of my mind, I guess, always while I was doing celebrity profiles, which I also was like, this isn't going to lead anywhere. There's not like a job doing this. And that's one of those things where it's like there used to be a job doing that. Like there was a time yeah. in like the 1990s was probably the last time that you could. There were people who truly just like made a career doing celebrity profiles and became known for that. And a lot of those people are in podcasting now. But I also didn't want to do that. I wasn't like enjoying doing celebrity profiles. Well, I, I imagine I, too, like, because based on what I've read of yours and like, you know, just sort of like what I've absorbed about you, I imagine there's like a pretty big gap between the um, people, like the public figures that you're interested in talking about and what you want to talk to them about versus what like the normal sort of Marie Claire, like, um well that's the thing it's like there's a big gap between that right it's like I wanted to do gonzo journalism and like do weird stuff and that's not what that is it's like an advertisement for whatever they're promoting for whatever press tour is happening at the moment and it's you know yeah and like there used to be a time when people wrote profiles that like maybe portrayed the subject in a bad light or at least like they might say something crazy I feel like now those profiles are only like of young white male actors are allowed to like say something really psychotic in a profile that goes viral, but everybody else is like very concerned about what's in the profile. And so things will get cut out that are like mildly interesting. Totally. 
Um, and then I had a couple experiences doing that that were like bad, you know, where like the story got killed for reasons out of my control that had nothing to do with like whether I'd done a good job, you know, where I was like, this is like just becoming humiliating. Like, like I don't even like doing this. Like I'm good at it, but it's not fun for me. Right. I like enjoy being good at it, but it's like, yeah, it's not going to lead anywhere. I don't care about famous people. Right. I want to want to talk to weirdos. Well, especially like famous people who are famous enough to have like a press person that's doing the media outreach. Like there are certain. That's what I mean. It's like they're it's so it's so bad now too it's like it's always been sort of an access game of like we'll withhold access if you say something we don't like but yeah I yeah. had I had a couple experiences where the magazine like fucked me because the client wanted something you know and and right again where I was just like I have no power in this situation at right. all and I came coming from a job where I felt like I was at least like valued in some way and now you're just like we don't value you at all we don't care you know and, and do you, we, like, you mentioned you. earlier that like you have you have representation right like a man or you have had at least like yeah yeah I have a manager agents. so I was mm -hmm. you know I was also like so famous. how did you find a manager like what was that you know well, is this your first manager or no I mean I I I, I I've been trying to get a manager and I basically I just went to everybody I knew that was in television and was like what did you do how did you get in like mm -hmm. who who represents you would they represent me yeah. I want to write television I need to get the fuck out of magazines it's like you know help me yeah. um and yeah and eventually I found somebody who like I took a lot of meetings that kind of went nowhere. I think that was just what was frustrating for me is like you take a lot of meetings with people that are like, great, can't wait to work with you. And then just like nothing comes of it. So, yeah. you know, um, so it makes you it makes you very determined to get in. Um, but that's that's kind of where I started doing Heidi World. So I wrote a script. I wrote a pilot about Heidi Fleiss. Oh, at focused on her as a babysitter which is uh -huh. how she started sort of her first hustle was that she ran a babysitting ring in high school mm -hmm. where she like figured out she could make more money as a babysitter if she got other babysitters involved and they like shared client lists um obviously the prototype for when she became a madam mm -hmm. but just kind of like how how what a good businesswoman she was so I wrote a pilot about Heidi Fleiss um called Heidi I think um that was about that and then we tried to take it out and sell it and then it was COVID so ah, yes so it was COVID but at the same time this thing was happening where television writing which had formerly been sort of the the cash cow for writers was getting downsized in the way that magazines had been was, was basically being taken over by tech in the same way and so suddenly everybody was doing this thing called mini rooms where it's like instead of staffing a full writing staff you staff a few people mm -hmm. essentially the thing that had happened in magazines that was fucking my life up started to happen in television which was that everything became independent contracting and right. they 
figured a way to make jobs that had formerly been staff jobs with some stability and health benefits into a freelance job, essentially, a paid freelance job. So I didn't get into TV again. And I was just at that point, like, I don't know what the fuck to do now. I don't have a plan here. My plan this whole time has just been to get into television and like, this is not happening. And at what point do you like try to figure out something else? Um, so yeah, I just, I saw that other people were doing narrative podcasts. My friend Karina Longworth, um, does the podcast. You must remember this. And she was the first person I knew who was able to like quit her critic job to be a full-time podcast person because she was making enough money off her podcast. So I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try and figure out that. Um, and I went to her and talked to her and asked her like how she did it and like what her process was for writing the episodes and stuff. And then I talked to Lillian Olick, who did uh, Once Upon a Time in the Valley and Once Upon a Time at Bennington, sort of uh, the same thing. And I talked to my friend Jamie Loftus, who's a Jamie and Jamie uh, does podcasts for iHeartRadio and has a podcast called The Bechdel Test. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I was also doing a podcast at iHeartRadio called Night Call with um, Emily Yoshida and Tess Lynch, which was like a reboot of the podcast we had done at Grantland, which was called Girls in Hoodies. Um, and Night Call was fun, but we were like not making any money off of it. And so I was kind of like, I'm going to see if I can like, I-, I also just saw like from pitching, because I was also pitching podcast company, pitching ideas um, for podcasts. And everybody wanted this thing that was like the narrative podcast, the podcast with a narrative, because then they want to sell it to TV and film. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to like reverse engineer something I can sell to TV and film and see if I can break in that way Mm -hmm. by essentially writing something that is structured like a television show is the length of a television show could easily be imagined as a visual thing but also like make sense on its own as a podcast um right and I also was like a playwright when I was a teenager I was like did a lot of young playwright competitions and I did like a radio theater show in college so I was just like it can be done but only I can do it about like I'm gonna crack the narrative podcast that like nobody has done a good you know that people everybody wants but nobody knows what how to do it like I know how to do it so I have to do it Uh so so yeah I I I pitched that to my boss at iHeart his name is Jack O'Brien who is a great awesome dude who um you know knew my work and got them to buy it from me mm-hmm. and then I worked on that for like a year and I was still doing celebrity profiles in the meantime but sorry I have a I, I want to interject because I do have a question about like the oh, yeah the span of that so as you pitch it I assume you're pitching does that mean you're pitching sort of like an outline of like here's how I want to do it and then after you got the green light 
then you were able to start like doing all of because that podcast was so in depth that like I imagine you spent a shit ton of ton of time like researching, outlining, etc. So when you were pitching it to Jack, was that sort of like here's what I want to do, here's like the structure, or like how yeah, but how it was loose or it was, tight did you make it? It was a little bit like just trust me, just trust <laughs> me that I that I. I'm I'm gonna do something it but it was like hard to explain to people when I was me I was like it'll make sense when you hear it right and the thing I had learned from pitching Heidi both the tv show idea and the podcast was that I found out basically everybody who was like older than me was like nobody wants this because everybody knows the story already you know like wild like Gen X people were all like, yeah, yeah, Heidi Place. Like it's been done to death. Like we don't care. We don't want That's that. That's baffling to me. Somebody uh, pretty powerful in podcasting was like, yeah, we don't care about that. We're making a show about like the fall of a TikTok house that we think will be our huge hit. Well, you know, speed to them. So like other people were being like, yeah, yeah, like we know what people want and you don't. And I was like, you are wrong. I will show you. <laughs> but I think I'd also been sort of so like beaten down by by Hollywood ego death by that point that I was just like, look, I know it's going to be good. It doesn't matter yeah. if any of you believe me because it's going to be good and you're going to want it once it's out and then you'll feel stupid. And mm-hmm. I that was, you know, obviously bluffing also. Like I didn't know if that was going to be true, but I felt very strongly just like this is a great story it's gonna make a great podcast it yeah. hasn't been done as a movie or tv show yet and like I'm sure it's been developed a million times but like no one's done it so that means it's like fair game for me right um and but also I talked to younger people and what I found out from younger people was that they didn't know who Heidi Fleiss was yeah so older people were like this story is oversaturated and younger people were like, who is that? I don't know what that is, you know? Yeah. Well, so I feel me, like the I... same was true for like the Pamela Anderson documentary. Like right. I found so... the generational gap so interesting. Like when I talked to people like, but there were also people cause I'm 34 and I have friends that are like just a year younger than I am who aren't. I found that like people around my age who didn't grow up here, like in Southern California, did not understand that Pamela Anderson was not a porn star. Like they didn't, yeah, totally. they thought that she was doing porn and also on Baywatch. And we're like, what a crazy crossover. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, no, that's not. So no, I found totally. it interesting that like, even somebody who's that famous, like in such a different way than in terms of like fame than Heidi flies, that people didn't understand. That's not what she was doing. Um, and so yeah, and I think place, there's just so much room for people to like not understand how yeah well I, w- I was just like it's a great story yeah you know, younger people will love it they just don't know it yet but I think I also saw it in a way that maybe slightly older people didn't understand that like when you you can like resurface a story like this the thing that really yes. set me off doing it was all the OJ Simpson documentaries that came out there was like yeah two ESPN OJ Simpson documentaries made in America and the one about the night of the car chase right and then there was the Ryan Murphy show and so that and just because I'm from LA and because the OJ 
trial was like my my thinking was like oh yeah the oj trial and then the heidi fleiss trial and these were like the two big big kind of referendums on the la riots where the cops tried to be like now the cops are in charge and the cops are the good guys and then everybody rejected that because everybody knows the cops are not the good guys yeah lapd or the the villains always um so I was kind of just like shocked nobody had done it but it was also like it just felt like there was this window like somebody's gonna do it it has to be me um hopefully I'll finish it before someone else does it first well especially when we're seeing such a surge like when it came out (coughs) you know and over the past several years we've seen such a surge in like solid like true crime work around women specifically um and then also so much sort of like uh more I would say like respectful conversations around sex work being work and yeah and then I loved what like I thought did you originally pitch it wish oh my god my words did you originally pitch it with the um like and share that you were going to do the Charlie Sheen sort of like side by side timeline or was that something that you like no that kind of just came out while okay. I was doing it and okay cuz that's amazing but I did, that you put that I in did there. pitch it as like this is going to be like a pro sex work Heidi Flies yeah. podcast cuz that's the thing about the story that I felt had not been like dealt with really when it was happening yeah. you know that was like why I thought it was interesting is cuz I was like had never understood like why she was prosecuted and why yeah the Johns didn't get in trouble and she did and you know and and it led me very early to like why should anyone get in trouble for this it seems yeah. like it's all consensual and like right no one's being sex exploitative right. yeah it's, it's like, like a very taking money situation. from people who want to spend money um mm-hmm. but also I wanted it to be fun I was just like I want to make a pot like I was like <laughs> most podcasts are bad and boring and I hate the way they're produced and they're precious and and self-serious and self-important and there had already been just all these kind of like genre constraints that Mm -hmm. had appeared in in, into podcasting that I thought were all bad and so I was like I want to make just like a crazy I want to make like good fellas basically was how I was always pitching it you know it's like lady goodfellas um (laughs) yeah because those are the people I like too are just sort of like you know slightly unhinged women I think are fascinating characters and that's like what all my kind of tv pilots and and other stuff had been about and so I was like okay I'm gonna do this but I'm gonna you know we will let me write a tv show I'll write a podcast and because it's a podcast I get to be the the sole writer but yeah I came up with this format of of taking things from uh newspapers and magazines which is like other people have done things like that I think I just had this idea of like it'll be this like assemblage of of historical materials it was like an audio zine to be honest with you like it was so because it was something that I listened during the shutdown to I listened to it like I was going on I was taking I was helping my dad take care of my grandmother who had dementia and so it was like a particularly like while on one hand um I felt really fortunate to not be like uh alone in an apartment you know um 
I felt super fortunate to then also be able to like be with my grandma and not like away from her, but also like I needed to get out of the house, you know? And so I would every morning like go on like an hour long walk and then every evening go on another hour long walk. And that was like what I listened to. And it literally felt like I was going through, because I love zines so much, like, and I have an obscene amount of them. It's like the only thing I collect and like hold on to really besides like t-shirts, um, like (laughs) and NASCAR jackets. But, um, like it audibly was like I was like wow this is like reading a really well done zine where there's like newspaper clippings and like it just had such a good vibe to it that it was like almost like having something tangible in my ears if that makes sense yeah and I think I saw that like the escapism that I had once enjoyed using blogging for that like you know it'll be escapism for people uh had kind of gone to podcasting and that people were like I love listening to podcasts you know on my commute and someone just told me they listened to it to like escape from their children I was like oh that's great you know (laughs) um yeah so I just wrote it being like it'll make sense when it comes out and then because of COVID we had some production changes where basically we had to like record a lot of people just had to send in self-records because Mm -hmm. the original plan was like to bring people into studios but then because of COVID we couldn't do that so a lot of people just did a self-tape and it was all people that you know and I cast a million people that I knew um, which I also thought would be like a fun way to hopefully get other people to listen to it to listen to those podcasts of those people right but I ended up really liking the way that worked because that was part of the thing was I didn't want it to be this like overproduced NPR style podcast and Mm -hmm. it ended up being sort of grimy beyond my wildest dreams because we really had to just like work with whatever we got from people yeah self-taping which I thought was fun there were like a lot of things where at the time I was like oh I wish we had time to fix this and redo it that I think also my blogging training had taught me that like sometimes you just have to like let let go and just put it out and yeah but yeah this was like the biggest thing I'd ever done and I think I'd been avoiding doing a big project like this because I wasn't sure I wanted to like sit with the same thing for a year you know Um, totally well it's scary I mean I think I imagine but it's it's funny like a lot of a lot of other people had big products come out I feel like in the past year and I would talk to them and find out they'd been working on it for like 10 years you know (laughs) I was like oh yeah a year is like nothing yeah well I imagine too that some of that like allergy comes from like uh like with jobs feeling like it was a sure thing and then having it not be a sure thing like it's like do I really want to spend a year doing something with no guarantee of like whatever but I think that's also something that like as as people sort of like doing our own projects is like just a gamble we have to make and I I regularly remind myself like if nothing else this is like my playground that I'm learning on and like nothing needs to come of it and I will only benefit from doing it like it's only going to be good for me to learn and to try something yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately I did need this to work because yeah. I was also just like, I need to get my writing career 
on a track again where it hopefully will lead to more employment so I was also just like I think that was also just my way of being like I'm staking my flag here in podcasting which is like a thing I've been doing for a long time now but you know, I just think narrative podcasting appealed to me. And and really, like, when I started writing it, I was like, oh, all the things that were kind of holding me back from writing a book, which were, like, sort of the the fear of the blank page, like, I didn't have with podcasting because interesting. there's just something about it where it's more conversational, so it's, like, easier to write. It feels less like you're writing a 200-page book, even though you are by the end, you know? It's like... Yeah. There, it was something like looser about it that kind of reminded me of like when I first started blogging where I was like this is great it feels so much looser to write online it like just loosens you up in this way yeah then when you're writing in you know a physical page that you have to erase it's like there's something about the sort of like fake spontaneity of it the feeling of spontaneity that's actually very practiced <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I love. think, you know, we're also more tolerant as listeners than we are readers, right? Like, when I think about, when I read something in a blog format, I'm like, oh, this is fun. Like, like I love, um, I subscribe to, like, Liz Lenz's Men Yell at Me newsletter, and I love it. And it's, like, what I read when I'm, like, having lunch and just, like, wanting something to read but forgot to bring a book. And it always makes me laugh. But also, if that same thing was, like, written down on a page, there's something about physically turning a page that I'm sort of like, oh, this is so long, you know, like, I don't know what it is. Whereas when I'm listening to something, it's such a passive consumption environment that I've also found myself like listening to audiobooks that I'm listening to going like, oh, if this was physical, I would have stopped reading by now. But because it's being spoon fed to me, we will power through this difficult to absorb moment. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting format. And do you think like, is that something... Like, what are you, are you working on podcasts right now? Like, what are you stoked that yeah, you're working so, on right now? Yeah, I mean, so I was, again, like, I was like, great, now I'm gonna, once I do this, then someone's gonna have to give me a television writing job. And then again, it's like, <laughs> or it'll just lead to more podcasting. Right. I'm and only laughing also, because of the, the strike that, like, was looming as you're thinking, I mean, like, this will happen. <laughs> But it's also like the strike is about like the t the things that are happening in TV are the same thing that, that happened in magazines, which is like the tech takeover and turning all these things that were once stable, good jobs into independent contracting and yeah. no promise of a future. And at the same time that they're letting that the, the industry is diversifying for the first time ever. So yeah, it's also like when people are like, it used to be you could like write on Cheers for ten years and make a bazillion dollars, and it's like okay, but the people who wrote on Cheers were like not that many people. Yeah, most people in TV write on shows that get canceled and are also constantly like looking for new jobs because their old jobs don't exist anymore. Yeah, I think part of it is just like you're an artist and you are trading in theoretically some kind of financial stability for like getting to do what you really love to do yeah. but tv writing used to be the one kind of writing thing where there was some kind of financial windfall and so everybody yeah. wanted to do it and so now that 
now that it's all fucked up, they're letting in minorities and women at this, you know, it's like they're dismantling the business at the same time they're opening it up for the first time. So it's like everybody wants to get in, but there's less work than ever, you know? Right. Yeah. Like even when I was like first trying to get in, it was like a completely different system to break in and, and sort of more of a more of a path of some ways that people theoretically broke in mm-hmm. and now it's truly like you know everybody's freaking out because I, nobody you know the the studio spent all the money like the way the magazines did it's like they right. dismantled a system that had worked you know the studio system wasn't perfect but had all the problems obviously but there were things about it that made it like a desirable thing to get into. And now it's truly like turning TV writers into sort of content merchants and turning everybody into content merchants. So excitingly, (laughs) that's what my next (laughs) podcast is about basically. Um, In what, like it's about this entire, like coincidentally, my next podcast is about um, Jenna Jameson, the porn <gasps> star. Amazing! And it is about you know, and I was working on this before the strike happened, but it like is unfortunately very timely. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's about the collapse of the porn studio system, about the rise and collapse of the porn studio system because of the internet, and about. I'm so happy you're doing this. Jenna Jameson is the sort of um, first final studio star, final contract girl um, in porn and first kind of internet entrepreneur in porn. Who st- she started a, a site called Club Jenna that was very, mm-hmm. uh, but again, I just, I've, I'm fascinated by porn people. I love them. I think porn is like this kind of, working class film industry and porn people are like the opposite of Hollywood people they're like so welcoming they're so friendly totally they're not like what can you do for me they're like oh please let people know porn is a real job you know yeah it's it's um I have a few guests coming on that are like current and former um you know, porn people. And, uh, and in fact, when I was in college, so when I was, it would have been like 2000, we're like the same age. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. So (laughs) I was like, it seems like it, like, I know that we have mutual friends. I was like, you know who Heidi Fly says that counts. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And, um, you know, when I was, uh, I went to Cal State Fullerton and for a couple years on and off, I was living in downtown and they shot a lot of porn next to where I was living. And so, like, when I was having my smoothie in the morning before going to my internships and stuff, like, in our little weird backyard situation, there would be, like, like writers and video guys and then also porn stars, like, hanging out, having cigarettes in our, like, shared backyard thing. And so I became friends with a lot of people in porn. Um, and when our, like... God, what was it? I was in a thing called, I think it was called like PRSSA or something. I don't know if your school had that, but like I was a minor in PR and they would organize these panels and they were like, we don't know what to do because we have an adult film panel every year. And like, 
we don't know where to find people for this. And I was like, well, luckily, like, what do you need? And so like, a my group friends of my from friends. the alleyway. <laughs> exactly. I was like, my backyard and party friends are coming over. And in fact, I will say like, I have experienced like some of the most like respectful encounters I've ever had with people like with friends who worked in porn. Um, and yeah, I think so, it's also like this idea that it's like just a job. I think I just was like, there's a lot of parallels here with writing mm-hmm. in terms of like, like, oh, you're doing something you want to do. Therefore, like, you shouldn't have to have any labor laws to protect you. Right. And, well, and, and porn is sort of a leader in that in general, right? Like, if we look right, at the way so that, that's like, yeah. When I went to AVN, you know, that was years ago, it was like there was still sort of the uh, studio system kind but you know it was like everybody talked about it like the the salad days are over and now it's this other thing but that means that people can kind of make things that they really want to and that the people who are in it a lot of them are in it because they really want to make you know horny movies and and have ideas about and just I got obsessed with like how many people in porn end up going behind the camera end up Mm -hmm. working below the line like it's very much like basically I was like women there's a lot more women directors in porn because there's no barrier of entry to like do it there's no like prestige involved and so almost all female performers that have long careers end up directing as well I didn't know that that's rad yeah it's rad I mean I think when I went to ABN I was just like oh all the best director nominees are women you know Mm -hmm. never happened at the Oscars and like probably never (laughs) will you know that the Hollywood is like patting itself on the back all the time for being progressive and that porn which like nobody thinks is progressive that is a critic of it is like actually very progressive right now especially because because there's no money left for you know so so people that are doing it really want to do it and and there's some really interesting things happening and there's the t awards which are the transgender erotica awards um Mm -hmm. there's like crossover between basically like like trans women are performing in mainstream scenes with other performers for like the first time ever Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating it's like a fascinating thing so so get ready for that that's what i'm doing next that's exciting and how how can people find out about it like should they just follow you on instagram and twitter do you have a newsletter follow me follow me on instagram off twitter for now um good for you but yeah it's gonna be called jenna world and amazing i love your dedication to these world titles (laughs) yeah they're really quite perfect it'll be and it'll be if you like tiny world i hope you will like jenna world but it is yeah it's about american history and capitalism baby oh my god that's so good good stuff i'm so stoked and And is that also going to be with iHeartRadio, or is that through on yeah i that's gonna be with iHeart. Uh, okay. Theoretically, allegedly, hopefully, finishing my contract now. Um, but yeah, that's what I that's what I'm doing. It's great. I'm very excited. I feel like I'm doing the thing I should be doing right Hi. now. That's beautiful. Still would love to write some television, but <laughs> you know, um, what happens. Um, I have. A few more, like, hopefully, and uh, are you short on time? Are you okay? No, go for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, because also, uh, 
I have quite a few writers that listen to this and then I co-host a book club with a friend who's a writer and most of the people in the book club are writers or academics or educators. And so I know for sure they're going to like kill me if I don't ask you questions about what you've learned about pitching over the years and like any sort of like pitching tips that you can share. God, that's not, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I've only ever gotten pitches accepted because like somebody wanted to hire me you know Mm -hmm. I think I think that's unfortunately the game with a lot of it um is yeah if you know somebody if somebody is an editor who's read your writing and wants you to write something they will give you work and I'm very grateful to everyone that's like hired me um but I don't know there have been times when I've been pitching a billion things and nobody wants any of it so yeah you know or, or when I just hit hit people up for work I feel like every time I like really need work and I start hitting people up for work it's like it doesn't help necessarily <laughs> yeah it's a sort of I think sometimes as a freelancer sometimes I found it very fruitful but I've learned that it's only fruitful when I go like hey great news I would like wrapped up a few projects and have time versus going like I need work and it's almost like dating like when someone desperately wants a partner we're all like allergic to it but when someone's like you know what I'm happy with my life and like yeah. I think I'm ready to date we're all like wow really no you? I think huh. I think unfortunately it's like you get work when you're already getting other work yeah. and when you're not getting work it's hard to like drum up that first thing that gets you more work again like I, I like wasn't trying to do celebrity profiles but it's like those were the thing that people would be like oh I saw your profile of so-and-so how yeah. would you like to profile this person yeah. and I also stopped doing that because I was getting offered things that I was like I I genuinely hate doing this like I genuinely yeah. I did a couple where I was like I don't care about this person at all and I don't feel like there's anything interesting here for me to say you know like well because some of these people are not interesting people you know know, and like you know I try to be just uh yeah I like I'm not like a snob about it like I would be like I would find the thing about this that makes it interesting to do for me but I had a couple experiences where I was like this is like making me do I even want to write now you know which is like I never want to feel that way totally um let's see what else did I write down here okay well I think we've covered just about all the bases one question that I wrap the podcast up with all the time is um like what is something whether it's a job or a person that you would want to hear the behind the scenes of Oh, good question. Sorry, I should have, you were like, is there anything I can come prepared with? And I was like, no, no, no. And I should have been like, yes, Molly, it's the one question that remains the same for everybody. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I can tell you some things that we've done that might spur some other things. I've done, a, I've interviewed a funeral home director and wow and that was like so fascinating and I'm like now I want to interview more of them okay Uh, yeah I would like you to interview the Dodgers organist that's my okay 
great you know what my weakest point in the world is fucking sports I'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> so the Dodgers organist is the right intersection I I'm me. just I'm so curious about how they get that job how they decide you know what? what songs to play just I'm fascinating friends job. with someone that I think is the one the organist for the Padres I think my friend oh, okay Bobby get them that. get them okay. it doesn't have to be the Dodgers I just want to know I want to hear a baseball organ player okay. talk about because that's the kind of job that I like fantasize about what if I just was hired to be an organist at the baseball games I can't play the piano but what if <laughs> what if you know that we all have a calling um there's something to think about doing in your 80s my great grandma played organ at her church until she was like 94 I think we all have a um, calling. Some people have to do podcasts about pornography and other people have to play the organ at sports events. Yeah, it's a beautiful, hopefully well air conditioned job. Um, well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for being on. I will encourage people. Oh, to follow yeah. Thanks you so much Molly. for ha- this was this was like therapy. I, 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 I'm so glad you feel hard. that way because some people feel really stressed out about it. And all I, I think want it's to hard do for is me to like share brains so that people feel good about where they're at. Yeah, totally. And I think making it obvious that nothing, the people, even people who seem like they're on sort of a direct path that most people have, like, especially now in this yes. stupid economy that we are in. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's, there's things that even if you work really hard and keep your head down and do all the things you were told to do, like you're going to encounter setbacks because they're the, you know, the world is collapsing. So I think it's also like, I would love what I'd really like. And what I really Mm -hmm. liked was during the pandemic when they just paid us to exist and we could stop grinding. Cause I think it's like when I came out of the pandemic and I was like, okay, now I have to like, you know hit this home run like I was ready to do it but I was also like wouldn't it be great if we just like didn't have to worry about making rent every month and we could that could be taken care of so people could do the things they really want and need to do or if we can like afford to have a tooth filled you know just like right if we had just like health insurance and dental (laughs) insurance so that making money wasn't this like oh unless a medical thing happens and then you have no money again yeah Um, exactly yeah and I think just a lot of the things we were like set up for don't exist so you know you there's I don't know that my path makes any sense for anyone else because I'm like I it wasn't like it wasn't what I thought was going to happen you know (laughs) Well, but I think your path makes a lot of sense for Americans who, uh, because I do also, almost everybody that I know who is doing creative work has had a similar path. There's very few people I know that like did the whole, and quite frankly, I don't, I think it's largely also personality types, right? Like I will say when I meet people that had the very, like I interned and then I got hired and then I, whatever, that like also I find them not interesting. Um, because they, there's like a lack of understanding of what the real world is like for the rest of us that sort of had to like cobble together a career for ourselves. 
And then it also depresses me because I often, like, while driving, just, like, cry thinking about all of the people who, like, were not able to cobble something together, whether it's from, like, lack of confidence or, like, they're helping their family out while trying to, like, support themselves. So they have to make these sacrifices. And I think nobody who is successful, I think a lot of people who are successful, it's, like, they have, who are, like, like Mike White successful, right? Like, they've already reach this point that like the beginning is so far out of reach and they're like oh well if you just work hard enough it'll happen and you're like yeah but there's a lot of people who are working really hard with great ideas that it's not happening for yeah and I just feel like even Mike White has talked about how there were times when he was like will I ever get hired again because especially in Hollywood it's like if you're up you're up and if you're down you're down you know and and when you're down nobody wants to help you get up again yeah and so he had some projects I think enlightened especially that he really believed in and thought Mm -hmm. deserved to be a big hit that just weren't because you know they were and not because they weren't good yeah so I also do think what he's doing with the white lotus is like sort of where my heart lies too which is to like try and weld art to commerce and yes I think it's very smart to be like I'm gonna make I think that I think he did I think he made that show because he was like, I want to do something that is like a success. I think he also, it was just like a combination of like, they told him he could make a show if he sent it at a hotel because it was COVID. Uh-huh. But the way in which that show is essentially the the love boat, you know, that it's like a 70s <laughs> rotating ensemble. Yeah. I think is very smart. Agreed. And, and yeah, and just making sure that it never gets, that it's prestige or whatever, but it never gets too far away from being like funny and entertaining. It's like very funny and very entertaining. Yeah. And a great show. It is. It's wonderful. I love him so much. I just think sometimes it's like, you know, we hear amazing stories like that. And then it's like, well, if you just do the thing. And I think people forget that. Well, it's like Emmy speeches or like, oh, I just wanted it and now it's fine. Yeah. Um, totally no Um, but I mean I think it's like if you if you have to if it's what you have to do then you simply have to do it yes I agree um well thank you so much for being on it's super appreciated um when this comes out I'll let you know hopefully within the next week um and I'll see you on the internet yeah have a great day tell you all my vulnerabilities I appreciate uh, it can't wait to hear how how to get a job playing the organ at a baseball stadium i'm excited to do that interview i appreciate the idea um have a good day thank you so much for listening that was such a treat i'm really really happy to be back thank you for sticking around if you're new thank you for joining you can follow BTS Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at BTS the Podcast. Feel free to follow me at Linnea Cook. Um, let me know if you have people that you want to be on here. If there's anything you want to hear about, what you like, what you hate. If you're like, oh my God, why didn't you ask this question? That was so obvious. Let me know or start your own podcast. You're welcome to do with that whatever you'd like. Thanks so much. 
Oh, and by the way, the um, newsletter that I mentioned, I really recommend signing up for. It's by Liz Lenz, L-Y-Z-L-E-N-Z. She's terrific. It's called Men Yell At Me. Subscribe to it. Read it. She's hysterical. All right. That's it.